Hey, hello and welcome back everybody. This is Ben Triboga, the Chief Growth Officer here at Nexel coming to you with another This Legal Life podcast. This Legal Life podcast, if you haven't been here before, welcome. It's my opportunity to sit down and talk about um, relationships within the context of the legal industry. We go into topics that everybody might be whispering around, toxic work environments, work-life balance, um, developing clients better client relationships, um, all of it. Um, and I am very, very excited to be sitting down with my guest today, Nicole Suisa. Uh, Nicole, how are you? And welcome to the This Legal Life podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm doing well. Thanks for talking with me today. How are you? We're very, very good. We're excited to have you. I know that you are calling us from New Jersey. We were talking a little bit uh, off camera uh, before about uh, uh, living in New York and New Jersey, and we're going to get into all of your background. Uh, but yeah, how are you today? What's going on in the uh, in the Northeast? Uh, recently relocated from, uh, from the Midwest in the cold, and yeah, how are things today up there? Real warm February here in Jersey. Uh, <laughs> coming to you live from the East Coast. Well, things are going totally. well. Things are going well. Amazing. Congrats on your relocation. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's uh, it was weird. This winter's been uh, been a little bit of a weird one. I left uh, Chicago, and two days before it was like almost fifty degrees. So that's kind of like completely unheard of. But um, but yeah, I'm super excited to sit down with uh, you today. I uh, watched your TEDx podcast uh, earlier today, and I was really inspired. So you kicked off my Friday with a uh, really with a burst of inspiration and energy. You're a fantastic speaker, by the way, and hopefully you're up on the stage a little bit more. And we're going to get into the get into your podcast um, a little bit later. But why don't we start maybe with uh, who is Nicole? Um, where are you sort of coming from? Uh, you're an attorney. Uh, you've been in-house counsel. You've been outside counsel. Um, so much to sort of go through. But yeah, why don't you give us a start off with a little bit of your background? Uh, where were you born? Uh, and then we'll go a little bit into, uh, in, into some of the substantive questions today. Yeah, absolutely. So I was born in Queens, New York, but I grew up uh, between Israel and, and New York City. So I quickly moved there. The Gulf War broke out. We didn't come back until I was five. So I came back to the U.S., although I was a citizen, felt a lot more like an immigrant because I came back speaking very little English uh, and had to start over with my parents. Uh, I'm first generation everything, uh, first generation college grad, first generation law school mm -hmm. grad, first generation everything, like a lot of families. And so law was always going to be option A. It was really the only plan I had. And, and so I pursued it doggedly, I think. Uh, but mm -hmm. that, that's what I wanted. Uh, there were no other lawyers in the family. And, and that's something that, that kept me energized from the time I was very young. The way it worked, the principles, the arguments, you know, the, the, the process, the, the rules based, the structure of it, uh, I always liked. Mm -hmm. So I, I went for it. Uh, a few, there were a few glitches along the way, things you don't plan. In my case, that happened to be in the form of a child. Uh, mm. I, uh, I got pregnant in law school and, and decided that I was going to, to do both. I was going to be a mother and a lawyer. Those are two things I wanted anyway, not in the order that I got them, of course, but those were things I wanted anyway. Uh, I think I underestimated how challenging that was going to be. 
Uh, but my legal mm. career and my child are the same age. <laughs> wow. Yes. Right. right. <laughs> he, was, he was born uh, about a month and a half after I graduated law school. And uh, she was born three weeks before I took the bar exam. So amazing. She, yeah, she's my bar baby, but not in the conventional sense. <laughs> I think when people say bar mm. baby, else. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> I've been navigating um, motherhood and in a legal career, which is you know a career within a very male-dominated profession, for a few years now. Uh, I've learned a few things. I I've I'm looking to share the things I learned now, uh, and I'm inspired by a lot of the other women I'm seeing in the arena. Yeah. Well, that's an incredible background, and I know you're doing yourself a disservice because uh, there's a there's a whole chunk of it about your legal career that we're unfortunately not going to go into today. But um, but it's a really good segue, I think, into um, and thanks for sharing sort of your personal story. And man, we'll have to have you on back onto the podcast to talk about um, you know the simultaneous life of your baby, uh, who I'm assuming now is is is, is entering um, their teenage years, or maybe maybe about to uh, about to. Oh no, she's a she's a lot younger than that. Uh, her, okay. Her attitude is entering the teenage years, but she got it. My daughter's seven years old. Uh, she's in second got grade it. and dying to be a teenager. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, um, teenage years are interesting. I don't know. I'm sure. I'm sure you. I'm sure you've let her down. That it's a. That it's not all rosy, but still a lot of fun. All stages of development are are certainly fun and. Um, yeah, and you still keep on growing even into an adult, which is which was news to me whenever uh, whenever you were a teenager. I always thought that you sort of hit like twenty one, and that that's it. You had all the um, you had all the uh, uh, all the answers kind of figured out, but um, apparently not. Uh, adulthood is something else. But as I said, you know, we'll probably have you back. You'll talk a little bit about uh, about about that kind of legal legal career and going and going through it, and uh, uh, especially side by side by your daughter, but. Today, I think we want to. We really want to go through three topics that I know that you're passionate about, and you, you've already talked about them specifically. The first is uh, being a mom within the legal career. Um, the second is work-life balance and per- work-life parental balance um, around uh, around really supporting uh, working parents, um, specifically with an emphasis uh, on mothers. Um, and then the last is um, really you know sort of making your way through kind of the uh the career track in, um in as as a woman uh specifically within the legal industry so we're going to go through a couple of those things but maybe we want to start off i think with the with the work life parental balance specifically uh let's dig in maybe a little bit to the TEDx talk um yeah. so your TEDx talk was titled working moms america's 1.6 uh trillion dollar investment um uh, we're going to put a link to it in the show notes, but maybe we can start. You can give us just a brief synopsis for those people. I know it's pretty new. Um, for those of you who haven't sort of uh, seen it, hopefully everybody goes and watch it. But um, yeah, what's it about? And maybe more importantly, uh, a little bit of backstory on what triggered you to kind of give that talk and reach out and, and think about this this topic maybe. Yeah. So it's the TED Talk is an economic analysis and argument on how and why child care and maternity leave need to be prioritized and how women in the workplace uh, need to be given more due and more deference. A lot of the time when we talk about women and their struggles in, in obtaining equity, right? Not even equality, just equity. Uh-huh. 
in the workforce, it's really presented in a very political fashion. It's presented as a feminist argument, if you will. It's an argument mm -hmm. for rights. You know, there, there's a lot of there, there's a lot of socio-idealism uh, that gets put into, into that topic specifically. And I understand why. And I understand, you know, the emotional pull. It is hard to do that. Mm -hmm. There, it, it's it's a very unlevel playing field. It's super unfair. There's a lot of misogyny to go around, even now. I get why it's framed in that context. I just don't think that it's the most accurate context. I don't think it's the mm. most official context, and I really don't think that it's getting the point across, right? So, I think we have more commonalities and differences when we try to talk about how we want to see this country advance. I don't think there's anyone out there that wants to see the U.S. fall behind, regardless of where they sit on the aisle. So the TED Talk was framed in a way to really concentrate on those commonalities. We want to see our GDP grow. We want to, to maintain our standing as one of the most advanced countries in the world. We want to, but we're holding ourselves back because of this issue that everyone thinks is a political issue that I really don't think is a political issue anymore. I think at this point, it's an economic issue. And if you really boil it down to dollars and cents, it makes sense to do this for women mm -hmm. so that half of your workforce right, can, can pick up the reins and pull slack and advance the country. Yeah, totally. So, um, you know, I, I, I agree with almost everything that you, that you say there. In fact, I agree with everything that you say there, um, especially the turn to put into an economic uh, argument versus a, a political argument for, for the reasons that you state. And I think that's really interesting, um, the couch uh, or the couching of it. Maybe we can talk a little bit just to go deep into the numbers, and if we if we make it a if we make it an economic argument, go a little bit into numbers because I know that um, in the talk you cite um, what you know some precedent for all the lawyers out there, some precedent from specifically from European countries, specifically uh, from Nordic countries. Um, maybe you can tie in and kind of give us an idea of. What, what sort of return on investment, both qualitatively and quantitatively, I, I think everybody kind of comes to understand that GDP is fantastic. There's also other things that go above and beyond GDP that, um, that you could consider, um, that you could consider a net benefit to the country. But double clicking on that, on that economic argument, like what, what are we actually talking about when we talk about return on investment? It's, it's, yeah, maybe break that down a little bit, because unfortunately you, you have to do so much in that TED talk. You have to sort of set up the argument then you have to go through the economic argument. Then you have to, then you have to give some sort of like next steps and you have to do it in 10 minutes while being sort of like funny and keeping everybody's attention. So, you know, I want to give us some space right now to sort of double click on that economic argument, because when you get down, it does make sense, right? It does make dollars and cents. And I think that there's probably research that I'm sure you've gone through and so kind of like shown. Um, yeah. Do you want to go there? Yeah. Uh, so let's just talk about the title and then, you know, and then I'll, I'll start to go into more granular detail. The title of the talk, the, the $1.6 trillion investment, $1.6 yeah. trillion is a lot of freaking money. All right. It's, it's an yeah. eye popping number. And that's why I put that in the title. Uh, and yeah. that is from Bloomberg, is if we invested in, in um, childcare, early childcare development and maternity leave, meaning if we subsidized it for families, um, then our GDP as a whole would grow by $1.6 trillion by 2028 if we did it right now, like today, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. 
I thought that was incredible. That's not something that gets talked about very often. And then I started looking at, well, what the heck are other countries doing? Like, what are they doing that we're not? Yeah. I understand we have a, a big population, which is which also helps, mm-hmm. right, our economic growth more than others. Exactly. Uh, right. We're, yeah. right. We're number exactly. one, right? China's number two, by the way. They have an explosive population. So you have to take that into perspective. How many people are we dealing with here? How, how many possible incomes? How much contribution are we dealing with? Mm-hmm. And that's a big reason why we're number one. It's not because we're doing all the right things. It's because we have a lot of people to contribute, right? So right. if you think about the development of those people, right? Mental development, uh, how they're able to, to, to procreate and, and, you know, Keep keep our birth rate steady because right now our birth rates in decline. It's not as bad as Japan, mm-hmm. but it's getting there. We're in a decline, right. right? It shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone that our birth rate is at a decline. Nobody can afford to start a family, right? right? And and that sounds like a menial problem until you start to see the long term consequences of mm-hmm. the family structure being hurt, and the long term consequences of the family structure being hurt are. People, we're not going to be able to save for retirement at the same rate. People are going to have a shorter life expectancy. Our social security program is already on the fritz. It's going to be totally out by the time I'm ready to retire. You know, those are serious long-term consequences that if you don't start to address now, the whole world is going to surpass us in 20 years, right? Mm -hmm. So in looking at, and at, these different sources, and I'm looking at in, in you know Investopedia, and I'm I'm looking mm-hmm. at these different you know financial sources that I could find that are you know really worth putting stock in. I'm mm-hmm. also looking at the growth percentage. Yes, our GDP is number one, but we're only growing at a 5.7 rate. China's growing at 8.1 percent. The United Kingdom is growing at 7.4 percent. India is growing at 8.9 percent. France is growing at 7 percent. And the commonality between all those other countries where we differentiate is that they actually provide these policies. They have maternity leave policies, every single one of them. The top, if you look at the top 25 GDP uh, countries in the world, yes, we're on that list, but we're the only one on, and we're head of the list, but we're the only one on the list that is not doing these things in order to sustain the growth of its population. And that's what this is. Mm-hmm. When you're investing in maternity leave or paternity leave, when you're investing in childcare, when you're investing in early childhood development and early childhood mm-hmm. education for that family structure so that they can mm-hmm. continue making more children and more people to contribute, when you're yeah. doing all those things, you're sustaining the growth of your society and your population. Right. And we're failing to do that because we're pretending it costs too much money. But the long-term cost is actually going to be completely expensive, completely unsustainable for us. And, and then, you know, we're doing these other distracting things by pretending it's a gender argument. I don't think this is a gender argument at all. I think, yes, we need to, we, we need to be mindful that our women deserve equity in the workforce and damn it, they've earned it, right? But this is much uh-huh. more than a gender argument. This is, we need to really start putting stock into our family units and our family structure so that we can sustain our growth and even advance it some more and be in line with the rest of the world. Yeah. So um, so I followed uh, almost all of that, not because mm-hmm. it was badly said, it was that there was, there was so much in there. And, you know, I would summarize it as kind of like the last point. So tell me if, tell me if I'm hearing you correct. Really, at the end of the day, it's going to be, um, it's 
minuscule the the cost relative to the downside cost of, of effectively not having a continuously growing workforce um, that can kind of sustain the GDP growth that we're expected to sort of have to support social programs to continue to um, to to, to continue to basically grow the country and all the rest of it, keep up um, with with these other countries, et cetera, et cetera. That's that's I, I know I probably butchered that, but but that's that's kind of the long term. That's that's the argument in in a way, right? It's yeah. it's early childhood development allows more people to stay in the workforce, more people allow to stay in the workforce. Basically, grows the pie, grows the pie in the best way that we kind of know know how to do. So. Is that is that I, some I, version of of it? I don't think you butchered it at all, and that's why okay. I was careful not to drown that TED talk in these types of statistics because yes, right. people would see people would see statistics statistics and get scared. You see numbers and you see all yeah. these different things, and and it's it's intimidating. And I'm not looking yes. to intimidate anyone. I'm looking to have anybody, anyone at all, doesn't matter what background, you don't have to go to law school to figure out yep. that this is a very basic formula that we're going to have to be mindful about. You know, you have to give some deference to to your women and your men, by the way. I think, you know, the first problem is to really tackle maternity leave. Once we do mm-hmm. that, I think we should do paternity leave too. There are countries that do both. And, exactly. and the parents right. have a chance to bond with the child and then leverage their individual leaves so that one parent is always home while the other parent is working and they kind of take turns, right? That's really smart. And there are companies that are doing that right now. They don't have to in our country, but they're choosing to do it. And they're, uh-huh, seeing, uh-huh. And they're seeing returns for doing that, right? It's not a favor. Yeah. They're getting returns on their investment. Yeah. So totally, I don't have totally. to do it at all. I think, I think you've got it. Um, and I think, you know, if it's, if it's explained that way, a lot of people would get it. Totally. We're going to get into some of the positive notes. What I like to, uh, what I like to call, uh, the good, the good news, you know, I don't know if you subscribe, I subscribe to this, uh, you know, I subscribe to all my, my, my newsletters and it's just, you know, the news is just terrible to read in the morning, but I always, I always subscribe to like the good news newsletters Mm -hmm. as well. And I get a little thing. So we'll get into the good news on this. Let's um before we get into my next question, just that was a very, very economic argument, and I think that's the crux of it. And it was a very qualitative, very statistics driven argument. So that's that's going to uh, that's going that's going to really hit for uh, a certain people who are who are deferential to something like a, like a qualitative argument, quantitative right. argument. There's also a qualitative argument. I think it's around. Um, it's really around. Um, I don't know how you would couch it. This is just my hot take on it. You know, it's really around having a diverse workforce, making sure that um, a lot of people, a lot of different people are at the table. It's about, it's about development within society, making sure that, that um, uh, making sure that, again, the diversity, not, not as, not as bad, but, but in, um, um, that, that there's enough people in the workforce and that those talents are, are sort of there. And also that the country in and of itself is kind of a place where most people can, can kind of go toward can pursue the path that they want in in this kind of way. Can you can you talk maybe about some of the qualitative or maybe the softer? And I don't mean that because I think the soft thing is actually the bigger thing. Typically, you know, the soft <laughs> the soft stuff is always the big the biggest stuff, right? Or it's the most aspirational stuff um, versus sometimes the economic argument. So how do you put the soft stuff um, in terms of this is also this also makes sense above the sense the if that yeah. makes sense. No, that, that I just totally said makes sense, sense three times in a yeah. That's right. So I, I get what you're saying. Um, you know, I, I, I start off with the numbers and, and the hard the hard evidence, if you will, you know, just because it's right. like you like a lawyer does, you need authority totally. 
arguments, right? And so those are the authoritative arguments. Um, a lot of, the, some of my research for this talk came from a movie, a film that was um, produced last year called Fair Play. And yeah. I, thought, I thought it was really well done. Um, Jennifer Siebel Newsom, I think, is she's the filmmaker uh, that went into this documentary with all these different families and she, mm -hmm. these different marriages. And so, and they were, they, they looked different too. Some of them were like same sex marriages, for example, right? She went to all mm -hmm. these different marriages and talked about the struggles of having, you know, one woman do, you know, all of the, all of the home stuff while the man did all the career stuff, right? So they were in these, in these gender roles um, that were more traditional. Yeah. Um, and the women were trying to balance doing the more traditional wifely work at home while also trying to manage a career. And it was yeah. unmanageable for everyone involved, right? Yes. Including the right. men. Right. The, the men were under immense pressure. The husbands were under immense pressure to financially support their families because that's what they thought their jobs were and that's what they're trying to do. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And then they would come home exhausted, right? And they wouldn't mm -hmm. really take part in any of the domestic duties. They were just too tired yes. to engage. And then likewise, the wives were trying to contribute to the household because there's not a lot of households that can survive on one income anymore, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. And so that really forces wives to do both, both roles and everyone was tired. It wasn't, it wasn't sustainable. So when you have a, a construct like that, that is based on the days of yore, right? While the uh -huh, economy uh -huh. has already changed and inflation has already made that an impossibility, it becomes unsustainable for everyone. When you have an office where you don't have a Latina perspective or a woman's uh -huh. perspective or the Jewish perspective or you know, a gay perspective or perspectives from all over the place, you're really doing a disservice to what your population looks like. Our population has evolved and will continue to evolve. There's going to be things that happen even generationally that we yeah. may not understand. There are things going on with Gen Z that I got to be honest, I have no idea what the heck they're doing. I don't get it. I can't wrap my head around it. Ask me to make a TikTok and I'm screwed. But it's important, <laughs> you know, it's really important to invite these people, these kids, if you will, these younger people to the conversation so because that's where we're going. So if you have a room where everyone looks and sounds the same, that's not a room that's gonna grow. You need a feminine right. perspective in an office setting. You need a feminine perspective in a huge deal that you're closing. You need that you, because men and women inherently think differently. We're not the same. Everybody thinks this is about equality. No, it's not about equality. I'm not looking for equality. We're not the same. Right. I'm not a man. I don't want to be a man. I'm not trying to be a man. I really like right. who I am, right? And and I think that likewise, men are very valuable to to everything I'm advocating for, right? If I can't uh, get yes. I can't get masculine buy-in, this is not going to go anywhere. If I can't get them to understand the problem, right, and uh, invest in the problem, then I won't get a solution. So the soft skill of this is, if you look at the way the construct works right now everyone's exhausted. There is such a thing as toxic masculinity and toxic femininity. Uh -huh. Everyone's getting uh -huh. dated. Everyone's getting tired. And it's because we're stuck in this box, in this construct that we've been given that was from two generations ago. And we're pretending that it still fits. It doesn't fit anymore. Yeah. Right. So yeah. we have to start listening to each other. Um, and we have to start enabling each other to, to be more helpful. Right. It's not a, it's not yeah. a big deal if a man comes home and does dishes. It's not a big deal 
if a man comes home and changes diapers, like he, you know, he's a father, that's his job. It should be, and it doesn't make him a better father if he does it, by the way, that's his job, right? In the same way that sometimes you'll see women who are now the breadwinners of their families and, and, you know, men get flack for it and they get emasculated if their wives are the breadwinners. I really don't think that either should be, you know, told what's emasculating or defeminizing or what have you, if it works. So that that's a lot of the, the, the soft skill of this is you have to totally. sit down and think about what works and have a dialogue with each other and enable each other to, to fill in, fill in the voids where you're most helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, um, so that was perfect. That was exactly the answer that I was looking for. Um, uh, you know, uh, I guess the way that I that I sort of see it is that there's an emo- you, you first described the outer external uh, tax that we are putting on ourselves from from lack of economic growth, um, and that's and that's certainly very quantifiable. Um, you can run some numbers on that. And then there's the inner tax that we are kind of putting on ourselves, which is um, exhaustion, depression, um, trying to fit into into gender norms uh, that that or, 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 or let's say let's say economic roles that might not really be suiting anybody, especially based on the fact that the economy, um, the socioeconomic economy, let's say, is changing very, very, very rapidly. So those are the kind of two hidden costs, the inner and sort of the outer cost. Is that a yep. fair way to kind of uh, kind of characterize it? Absolutely. Beautiful. So let's, um, I wanted to ask you this question, but I think we're going to run out of time, which is, I, I just, if you could give just maybe two sentences on this because I want to get to the second to our second and third topic and I want to mm-hmm. do it um, respecting your time which is which is women in the law and and going into and going into that topic uh, and then tie it all together really quickly two sentences on this you're a lawyer I'm a lawyer lawyers love the other side of the argument what is what is the most viable counter argument that doesn't you know that that's levied or that's out there or that you give the highest credence to whenever to counterbalance your kind of like position today on this? Oh, that's an easy one. Um, that is mm. too expensive. That is too expensive. That a lot sure. of the countries that I've studied and a lot of the other places where I've seen this work, where we've all seen this work, right. uh, they have higher, way higher tax rates and they have way lower populations and that's why it works for them. Right. They're, they're able yeah. to afford it and we're not. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that's the easiest counter argument I see. Um, but I also, you know, I think that if we were to go by that logic, a lot of how we became the country we became would not have been mm-hmm. a possibility, right? America was born out of sheer grit, you know, <laughs> of a few men that thought that we should no longer be owned by Great Britain. And everybody told them it was impossible, right? right? So you, mm-hmm. can't, you mm-hmm. can't be inspired by the country that we became and, and the ideals that we still uphold and then say, well, we just can't do it. I think we can. Right, I think right. we have to be more creative at how we afford the things that we want in order to sustain our development. Yeah, totally. Okay, so let's us not really switch gears, but 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 move to our next kind of pillar topic around uh, being a woman and being a mom within the context of the legal industry. So uh, you um, you are a lawyer. You've been a lawyer. Um, you've worked in house, outside, in law firm, everything in between. You know. Yep. There is so much to say about this that we are not going to do it justice in the next 20 minutes. But, you know, this is a podcast about the legal industry, about the relationships within the legal industry. And, and I 
I mean, in some sense, when you take relationships, that's just another way of saying culture and the legal culture specifically. Do you mm-hmm. want to, what's, what, what's your perspective on sort of being a woman, being a mom, being a super mom, uh, and in the context of the legal industry as it sort of sits in 2023? I am very grateful to see that it's changing. Um, and it's changing rapidly. I mean, look, I, I'm, I would be considered mid-level in my career, I guess, right? I started working seven years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. Even seven years ago, it was very different. A lot of the reasons that I've made the jumps I've made, some of them were obviously financial, right? If I, if I had a better salary offered, you know, being a single mother for many years of my daughter's life, um, mm-hmm. I, I took it. And so that that was there. But the other the other part of my jumps was purely a work life balance perspective. There are places that I've worked where it was absolutely unsustainable for me to raise a daughter and also do 90 hour work weeks with no nanny or au pair or anything like that, that a lot of the upper management tends uh-huh. to have, right? Totally unsustainable. And I think that the pandemic really humbled corporate America in ways I don't think we would have seen otherwise. And people understood what it was to slow down and be at home and have your kids around and, you know, really prioritize. And I think that's really great. It seems like a lot of those changes are lasting. Um, And it seems like women for the first time, you're kind of, for my first time, I'm seeing them really pipe up. Like, um, you know, a great example is recently the text, the text heard around the world. There was a a law firm in Cleveland where a partner, you know, sent a really ugly text to a female associate who was on maternity leave and then chose to take another position. And, you know, it was something along the lines of, you know, you're sitting on your ass and taking salary. You're such a horrible person, you know, for moving from this firm uh-huh. to another. And boy, did people come out in spades. I and mean, They just were not uh-huh. having it. Uh, I believe that partner was let go. That firm made a full-throated apology and, and women uh-huh. just, well, if you looked on LinkedIn, LinkedIn was set on fire with all of these women right. pictures of themselves having their babies while working or pumping while working yep. or being on maternity leave so that, you know, the world, the legal profession at large could see what it looked like to, quote, sit on your ass while having a child and managing a legal career. And I thought that was spectacular. So for me, that's yeah. encouraging that women are speaking up. Women are no longer accepting the sort of disrespect that was like, you know, brand on par for our profession. The ABA has uh, now set, you know, a, a, a women's division, right? The ABA now publishes things that are substantive and meaningful. There are advocacy groups yep. all over the place. Almost every firm has a women's law initiative attached to it. So, you know, it's not just a performative DEI advance. Uh-huh, there are, there are uh-huh. people taking this seriously. And as, you know, a younger person in the profession who is mentoring law students and trying to bring more women up in the profession, that is a big deal. That's really, that's the good news, if you will. I know you asked about good news a few minutes ago. That's good news. The good news is, is that it's changing. It feels like the tides are finally turning and people get it. And, you know, women are, are getting a lot of the respect they deserve. And when they're not getting it, they're calling it out. Yeah, totally. I um I couldn't agree I couldn't agree more and you know I I your plug about LinkedIn is important you know I think um again some topic but you know the the intersection between these um these 
um, these issues. And then social media is also something that I think is is really interesting within the context of sort of legal legal Twitter, legal LinkedIn, and all the rest of it. There's there's such interesting conversations, and I do think it um, it's trending um, completely in the right way. To to your point, from from a from a male ally perspective on the on the outside, of course, uh, uh, trying to show up. I um you know I want to be mindful of the time, and we're kind of coming to the next to the last sort of five minutes. We could go so much more deep into into women and mom and the law. Um, I just want to plug talking about LinkedIn. You have the cute before we go into the wrap up. You have the cutest picture with you um, and your daughter. It's kind of like a slideshow. Um, it's uh, it was two years ago, but I know it's featured. Uh, it's you as RGB, uh, <laughs> um, uh, you as a uh, astronaut, Frida Kahlo. Um, um, I'm not sure who the, who the one, who, who you guys are with the, uh, with the polka dots and the, um, and the kind of 1950s glasses. You uh, have to correct Shirley me. Chisholm. That's Shirley Chisholm. Shirley Chisholm. <laughs> there we go. There we go. And then Amelia, Amelia Earhart, and then bottom right. I'm just trying to test myself. Oh my God. What, what's her name from World War II? Ratchet, um, or Socket, Socket Sally? Is that, is that the, I always forget with the, um, uh giving giving like the giving like the flex with the um oh, giving the flex with Rose, the with Rose the arm. Rosie the Riveter. Rose, yes, Rosie the Riveter. Sorry, Socket Sally. I was closer <laughs> trying to do that. But anyway, go check it out. So cute. Um and it is through the years. So it's it looks like uh it looks like you guys, I don't know if that's Halloween, but it looks like you guys have a lot of fun together. So I just yeah, wanted to her, just wanted to plug that. Yeah, every month we do a woman of the month. And so it's not Halloween. We actually like once a month we pick a woman, any woman from history. Um, we try yeah. to diversify it. It's actually, so Amelia Earhart is Amelia Earhart and Bessie Coleman. Because before Amelia Earhart, yeah. it was Bessie Coleman, right? So it's Oh, so it is an Amelia Earhart. It okay, is Amelia it. Earhart and Bessie Coleman. We wanted to, to do got something it, with both it. of them. Um, Very cool. It's Woman of the Month. And so that's that's my way of, of empowering my daughter to, A, learn about really important historical female figures and also feel like she can mm -hmm. beat them for a day. <laughs> Totally, totally. And um, yeah, I, I think it's just a, I think it's just a, a testament to social media. There's a lot, there's a lot of dumpster fires on social media, but you know, from the outside looking in, whenever I see something like this, it's just, it's, it's a nice, you know, it's just a nice reminder, a nice empowerment statement. So I just implore you to keep on doing that and using that platform. Um, I think it's fantastic. And nothing else. Uh, you and your daughter are uh, amazing in all of these all, all of these photos. Everybody has to go check it out. So let's um, so let's wrap up a little bit and uh, let's kind of tie it all together. So we went on, you know, scratch the surface. We will have to have you on kind of your perspective on women being a mom in the law, um, and then how that was kind of a double click on our broader conversation, which is work life parental balance um, and. Um, uh, uh, really kind of uh, this idea of some of the changes that we could make in terms of um, uh, alleviating some of the both some of the uh, stresses um, and investing um, really in um, in in a uh, in a better system for for working moms specifically let's end with some positives um, in either one of those in either one of those topics and then uh, talk a little bit about you know if you want to be an advocate if you want to be an ally we really want to sort of um, do something. You, you had some great recommendations at the end of the TED talk. Can you kind of give us all some great recommendations on what we could do? And yeah, if you if you just want to continue to sort of ally yourself there. So let's let's talk about the good news first, and any one of those um, and and things that that keep you keep you um, keep you inspired. And then uh, we'll go into you know getting involved and some things that you know it's anything that you should educate yourself with or um, yeah how to move forward. 
Yeah, no, the good news is, you know, more companies and firms are moving toward hybrid roles, which really enables people to structure their time and how they spend it with their children or their families uh, and, you know, get their work done. So that that's big for me. Um, I think that that's thanks to the pandemic. That was the one good thing that came out of a really horrible three-year pandemic. Uh, and I hope mm-hmm. that that continues. Uh, as for how we advocate for ourselves, I think you you made a really great point about talking about social media. That has been mm-hmm. blockbuster, right? Not to quote something that's yeah. totally dead because blockbuster doesn't exist, but that has been a big deal is being able to go online and use a platform and connect with others, not feel so alone, yeah. call out things that just don't belong in the profession anymore. That's been huge. Uh, so I would just say to people who want to start small or who want to start at all, you know, go online, go look up other people, go look up women in the profession, talk to them, look up groups, research, you know, go on the ABA website. They have a lot of really great resources um, and, and talk about it. Don't be afraid to say something, you know, just because you're afraid of what people are going to think about you. It's become more on trend than ever to talk about your experiences than it ever was before. And I think that's been a wonderful development and people should keep doing it. You know, speak your truth um, everywhere, show up as yourself everywhere because it's the only way we're going to get representation it's you know i i advertise the fact that i'm a mother i'm very proud of it and i'm proud of you know the little girl that i'm creating and i i want her to be proud of herself and and to you know step into her own when her time comes and the only way to really do that is if she can turn around and see a shining example you know of okay mom did it mom did everything mom was a firefighter mom was a lawyer mom scuba dives, you know, mom is loud, mom takes Mm. up space, mom doesn't care. And I need her to see that. And so I'm her first example. And thankfully, she sees it in other women online. So absolutely use the platforms. Well, yeah, super inspiring. You got to tell me about being a firefighter while scuba diving. Apparently, it's (laughs) uh, what what can't she do? It's uh, yeah, you got to give me some scuba diving tips. My uh, my wife and I were we're trying to get into scuba diving, so we'll take that we'll take that offline. But um, yeah, we'll circle back. Well, I think we're gonna wrap up here. You've been so gracious with your time. Thank you so much, Nicole. Um, any last words you want to leave anybody with? Uh, any 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 final reminders? Anything that you're really interested in, or topics that you know you're kind of um, kind of exploring right now? Anything? Yeah, let us know. Um, I'm just, I'm exploring more in corporate law. Um, I'm just, I'm so grateful that people actually take an interest, uh, in this topic and, and, in, in the culture, that's a big deal. It's something that I didn't think was, was possible when I was making my Ted talk. I didn't think anyone would care. Um, and it's great. It's great to see that people care. So thank you for sharing this with your audience and, and more importantly, thank your audience for, for actually tuning in and listening and, and taking part. Absolutely. All right, everyone. Well, this was our discussion discussion with Nicole Suisa. Um, you're going to uh, get her LinkedIn, all the rest of it, the links to the bio, all of that's going to be in the uh, in the show notes. We're going to put this um, up on all of your favorite podcasts. So uh, please be uh, please tune in and connect with Nicole as well. If nothing else, check out that uh, that fantastic photo of her and her her daughter. I promise you, it'll make your day. All right, Nicole, thank you so much. We're going to get out of here uh, and take care of everybody else. We'll see everybody else soon. Bye, everyone.